6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 11 through 18. We're in the book of Psalms, and we're going to explore Psalm 11 through 18 this evening. Psalms, of course, just by way of a little bit of review and warm-up, was Israel's hymnal. And uh, Psalms are poetry laced with strong theology intended to be sung or accompanied with uh, musical instruments. The Hebrew term to him is praises. And 55 of these are specifically addressed to the chief musician. And uh, the Greek term was psalmoi, poems to be sung to a stringed instrument, or psalter, which is a harp or stringed instrument. So these, it's from those terms that we get our English term for psalms. And they have the nature of poetry. Now, when you and I think of poetry, we think of phonetic design. Our poems in the, in the West typically have parallelism of sound, what we call a rhyme, or parallelism of tempo or time, the, the rhythm. And so, uh, but that's phonetic in both cases. Hebrew poetry is not really uh, focused on the phonetic design, but the conceptual design. And it indulges in the parallelism of ideas, a comparative uh, parallelism to illuminate things, contrastive uh, 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 parallelism for antithesis, and uh, completive or synthetic ones. And we'll also find terms like selah throughout here, which is uh, disputed by some scholars. It's certainly a pause. Some people think it's just for the mu musical side of it. But uh, many very learned scholars that I respect highly uh, emphasize that it's probably a pause to connect ideas. So we're dealing with concepts here. And uh, truth, not tunes, in other words. And uh, synonymous parallelism is when the second line restates the first. Uh, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Two expressions that are parallel. One simply restates the, the second one. Then there's antithetic parallelism, just the opposite. The lines are in contrast to one another. Here's an example. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. See, the two ideas are contrasted. It's like two sides of a coin, in a sense. They're opposites, and yet they're uh, parallel in another sense. Then there's synthetic parallelism, and that's where each successive line expands or amplifies the first. And uh, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And you've probably sung that in some songs, but in any case, it's, I'm sure, very familiar, but it's an example of what they call synthetic parallelism. And, of course, the Psalms have many sources, 73 specifically ascribed to David and a group of others, the oldest one probably being the one written by Moses himself, 48 are anonymous for a total of 150. Many people catalog these Psalms into five books, sometimes called the Genesis book, the Exodus book, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And uh, 
under the idea that they are somehow parallel to that. I mention this because you'll find it frequently referred to in many commentaries. I have to tell you candidly, I don't see much in that. I think it's, it, it, it impresses me as being a little contrived. Having said all that learned stuff, I'm going to now encourage you to forget it. One of the things that uh, we want to do with the book of Psalms is shift gears a little bit. Oh, as we go, we'll try to highlight things that may be of a scholastic interest, but the real issue, the real issue, the real caveat I want to give you is for our souls. In the Scripture, we have clean animals and unclean animals, the difference among them being the clean animals chew the cud. And there are many rabbis and other commentators that feel that that's also suggestive of what we're supposed to be doing in, with the Word of God. And uh, thy words were found, and I did eat them, Jeremiah tells us. And we find John saying a similar thing in Revelation 10 and so on. See, that chewing the cud was the key to clean sacrifices, and we are to be his sacrifice. So one of the things you want to do with Psalms is not just study them for their expositional content, but to just really meditate. Um, you probably really won't understand the Psalm until you've read it, read it maybe 25 times. And I'm not exaggerating much here. You want to avoid, in this particular portion of our studies, what I'll call analysis paralysis. Over-analyzing these things can blindfold our souls to the real message. And uh, so we want to really savor the Psalms. I want you to focus on prayerful absorption rather than intellectual dissection. And um, we really want to taste the Psalms and uh, meditate on them. Because the Psalms are a gateway to His presence. That's what makes them so precious. Whether you're in a situation where you need comfort, encouragement, whether you're paralyzed by fear because of circumstances, whatever, the more extreme the circumstances you're experiencing, both good or bad, the more precious these Psalms will be for you. Last uh, session, we had Psalms 9 and 10, which really focused on what some people might call Satan's band. The people that are characterized by pride, boasting, and self-sufficiency. That's where we closed last time. We're going to open this study with Psalm 11, which is going to deal with the testing of the righteous. Psalm 12 is going to deal with the, God, with the godly in the midst of godlessness. And the ultimate godlessness will be hinted at from, that, of the great tribulation. And Psalm 13, we'll encounter, we'll speak of the plight of God's people in the Great Tribulation. So some of these Psalms, even though they were precipitated by actual events in David's life, also seem to be inspired by the Holy Spirit to give some guidance, some perceptions regarding times of trouble that are just, it's very specific times of trouble that are yet ahead of us. And then we're going to get into Psalm 14, which will deal with the depravity of man in the last days again with his atheistic attitude and his rebellious ways. Have you never noticed that lately? It's been that way all through history, but getting worse, obviously. And Psalm 15 is going to deal with those who shall enter the kingdom. And uh, it, ha it will have some surprises for those that um, are perhaps overly enamored with uh, messianic practices and uh, Christians that have put, Gentiles that have put themselves under the 613 commandments and all that. If you're into that, you, you, I'm going to solicit your patience and forgiveness for the way we're going to look at Psalm 15. There'll be some surprises there. 
Psalm 16 is sometimes called the song of the resurrection. There's passages in there that are quoted many, many times in the New Testament in, in regards to Jesus' resurrection. Psalm 17, a precious prayer by David. And Psalm 18, and a joyous, extensive prayer when he was finally delivered from Saul and his enemies and so forth. And we're going to leave for next time, but I'm mentioning it now so you can be thinking about it, Psalm 19. We are going to really take a careful look at this unusual psalm about the creation. That'll open our session next time. So, okay, Psalm 11. David's crisis, you know, David was often in danger. Uh, many of these have to do with Absalom's rebellion. Uh, many of them have to do with his uh, exile from Saul, who was trying to kill him. David was spent uh, 10 years in exile, fleeing uh, uh, enemies of various kinds. In the court of Saul, as described in 1 Samuel 19, in the wilderness being chased uh, by Saul, then, and then during the rebellion of Absalom, these were trying times. Not just they were not just because of his son, which of course is grievous, but also because he successfully got a large number of people behind him, and David actually had to flee um, his post, had to flee the city of Jerusalem. You know, that called the city of David. He was in serious trouble. He made some wise moves. He hid in the wilderness. He didn't confront. He actually abandoned Jerusalem and took refuge over the Jordan. And uh, all of this got honors because he, he, he did not deal in violence. And he had several times an opportunity to kill Saul, and he did not. And all of this will go, will go to his credit. But here in this psalm, unlike some of the ones we've looked at, which clearly dealt with those issues, he did not flee his post. And he remained on duty... Trusting in the Lord. A little different approach, a little different situation. And uh, so let's just jump in. Psalm 11, it's labeled to the chief musician, a psalm of David. In the Lord I put my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? First of all, we notice in the Hebrew that the word flee is in the plural. So this Advice by some to get to flee wasn't just for David, it was his whole court and his friends. That was the, that's what's implied here. It's not obvious in the translation, but that's sort of the, the, the thing. And he, his advisors told him to flee like a bird, so to speak, and he refused. See, they, his friends, lacked the faith that God would see him through. So David didn't take their advice. And uh, he, so he says, In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? So you get a little different tone where you know that background. Second verse, for lo, and that means the word lo isn't just a poetic phrase. It means look by sight, in other words. For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. In other words, the threats he's facing, even though he has the courage to stand his ground, are not imaginary or exaggerated. They're real. That's what he's saying. Look, the wicked bend their bow. They make the ready of their arrow up on the string and the, that they may privily shoot at the upright. And then he goes on, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? See, we, 
You want to make sure that your foundations are sound. If they are, you stick your ground. That's really, in effect, the flavor of what's going on here. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The word try here means like testing. His eyes try or test the children of men. It's a, it's a, Hebrew, it's a verb in the Hebrew that implies uh, testing metals by fire, in effect. And uh, so if you're in Christ, your trials work for you, not against us. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7 and following, we'll go into that. Okay, so we have uh, verse 5. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Whose soul? Whose soul? Whose soul hateth? Strange phrase, isn't it? That should be capital H in the minds of many, right? The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. And the word try, of course, is bachan, which means to examine or prove, try. Testing metals is by fire. Verse 6, upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. This whole idea of his countenance, seeing his face, you find that expression in number six, you know, may his countenance shine upon you and so forth. What does that mean? To see his face implies access. It implies access, the way we might say it, to see his face. And the way that really should be translated is the upright shall behold his face. His countenance doth behold the upright. In the English it's a little awkward. What we're saying, the upright shall behold his face. We will have access to the face of God. And that's... Now, David has some interesting imagery for judgment. Fire and brimstone he mentioned here, and of course that suggests to us Genesis 19. Remember fire and brimstone? Sodom and Gomorrah and all of that? Whenever I think of Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm reminded of Billy Graham's classic crack. He made that several decades ago. If God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Always think of that. And of course, you find fire and brimstone in Isaiah 30 and Revelation 9 and so on. And then David used the term scorching wind, okay? And that also will echo in Psalm 18, which we'll get to tonight. And of course, he speaks of the poisonous cup. The cup is that portion that you taste of or that you're given, so forth, or whatever. And... Uh, we hear of God's wrath being poured out like bowls and so forth. Poisonous cup. And it's all through the Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all use that same idiom. And Revelation in the three different places uses that. That, that cliche is, I'm sure, familiar to you. Okay, so let's, we got through that one quickly. Tonight we'll have several because many of them are not that long. Psalm 12. To the chief musician upon the Shimoneth. A Psalm of David. Now, you may recall we ran into this term last time. Shimoneth actually means like the eighth and could mean an octave. That's a speculation because their, their music was not necessarily organized the way we're used to in the West. But, but to the chief musician upon it, Shimoneth, and that may be a, an eight-string something, or it may be an eighth uh, moving an up octave or down an octave for the singers. Those are all speculations by scholars. The, 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 it's not clear. 
Verse 1 of, chapter, of uh, Psalm 12. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. This is a, you know, a, a, a cry of the faithful that uh, due to the apparent lack or dearth of faithful leaders. Lord, the godly man ceaseth for the, the faithful fail from among the children of men. We look around, we can't find any believers, can't find people who are faithful. That's exactly what Elijah felt till God says, hey, I got 7,000 you don't know about. Stop your pouting, you know. And uh, Isaiah had the same reaction, Isaiah 57, and Micah has the same reaction in Micah 7. There are times when the faithful of God get discouraged because it would seem to them that they're alone. You may feel that way too. And especially these days too, it's astonishing to see some of the most prominent, respected scholars get messed up on their, in their position on the Bible. Uh, men who know better getting involved with preterism on the one hand in the eschatological area or in the emergent church as it's going. It's, it's astonishing that people seem to want to go back to the you know, 14th, 15th centuries with incense and icons. If you want to go back, why don't they go back to the book of Acts? Okay. But there are times that we, it seems that the, that the faithful fail from among the children of men. It seems like they're not around. And then the psalmist goes on, they speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. Double speak from double hearts. We know what double speak is, right? Anyone ever listen to any of the news broadcasts, these politicians? Boy, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. Boy, boy, boy. The whole term political correctness uh, uh, is, a, is a euphemism for that kind of foolishness. We live in a culture that denies the existence of truth. And you and I are committed to truth. We worship truth. He walked among us. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips. Oh, boy. And the tongue that speaketh proud things. See, flattery is manipulation. Let's realize that. Yes, it's insincere, but it's usually insincerity with an agenda. Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Who have said, with our tongue will we prevail? Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Well, you're going to find out, gang. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. So again, we'll see these threats, these clouds, but God is always our refuge, always the one that will have the last word. And I love this verse, verse 6 of chapter 12. The words of the Lord are pure words. A silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. His words are flawless, they're pure. And uh, there are a lot of implications of verse 6. If his words are pure, then you want to give a wide berth to paraphrases. It's very popular to deal in modern, what 
Some modern translations are really paraphrases, but many of them are unabashedly paraphrases. They would paraphrase God? You've got to be kidding. See, there's two kinds of theories of translation. There's um, verbal equivalency and dynamic equivalency. Dynamic equivalency tries to render the original text into today's language. The, no the goals are noble, but they're giving deference to today's language. Verbal equivalency is translations that try to capture what was really said. And one of the things you'll discover as you mature in studying your Bible is that you will outgrow these modern translations, you'll outgrow the paraphrases, because you'll discover more and more that you need to get a respect for the precision of what God has said. And uh, many, many times what sounds like just a figure of speech carries with it an insight that gets lost if the translator uh, is, isn't faithful to the original text. And uh, now we live in a world where those issues are getting less and less critical because you can go right to the Greek or Hebrew without knowing Greek or Hebrew today. Because this, this computer software is such that if you put your little cursor on a word, it will pop up and tell you what the Greek or Hebrew said, what it means, parts of speech. It'll diagram the sentence for you if you want. So you don't have to know the language, the original language, to be able to exploit the original language. And these software packages are free. Some of them, shareware and so forth, eSword and some of these, good, great. The Blue Letter Bibles on the internet, it's free. That's all that for you. There are also some packages that cost a few hundred dollars that are more elaborate, quicker in response, and you're not dependent, you, you can operate without being on the net, which is, if you're on a plane like I am, you need anyway. So, Anyway, so um, the words of the Lord are pure words. We want to have a respect for what God said, not what some translator thinks he really meant. Anyway, thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. By the way, Psalm 138 verse 2 says, before I bring that out, does God, is God serious about his name? Does he venerate the name of God? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God. You know, how many have noticed, noticed that he's, he, he venerates his name? Can I see a show of hands? About 20% of you. Come on. All right. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Do you realize there's something that he puts even above his name? That's a shock. It was shocked to me when I first saw this. Psalm 138, verse 2. He exalts his word even above his name, the scripture tells us. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. It's referring to the situations where the things that God abhors are exalted in places like our entertainments. Almost every imaginable evil is exalted. Not, not just violence, sexual aberration, you name it. It's merchandise, it's primary export of the United States. Okay, let's go to uh, Psalm 13. Here's again to the chief musician, a psalm of David. And this is all about David's feelings, his enemies, 
and his faith. He was, you know, David was an incredible guy, incredible warrior, very skilled military tactician, but also a songwriter, a poet, probably the principal poet of his country. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? He's expressing candidly his feelings. Has God hid his face from him? Not really, but he feels that way. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? 1 Samuel 20, verse 3 says, There is one, he says, David says, There is one step between me and death. For 10 years he's running and never more than a step away from death. Whether he's had a tough time. And there are times that he felt very abandoned, very lonely. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? See, one of the points that's going to seep through this is that feelings are deceptive. You may feel one thing. That's when you need to make a faith choice. The secret to a Christian walk is to make your choices by faith, not feelings, under the confidence that God will subsequently align your feelings with that choice. You don't make the choice because you feel that way. You make the choice by faith, and your feelings will align. That's one of the great discoveries you need to make personally. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitfully wicked. The actual word is incurably wicked. So you don't trust your heart in making those kinds of decisions. You make them by faith. And... Uh, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say, I have prevailed against him. And those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music